Hey, hey, welcome to The Rev Up, the podcast where we talk about all things revenue growth. Uh, today on the show, we have the one and only Jim Ginolio. Uh Jim is the Director of Marketing Analytics at Bounteous, a global digital experience consultancy. Uh, in his current role, he helps clients quantify the impact of the marketing efforts uh, using marketing mix modeling. We talk about that quite a bit in today's show. Uh, randomized controlled trials and other attribution-related methodologies. Uh, he publishes a weekly newsletter over at MMM Hub uh, that focuses on marketing mix modeling and related topics. Uh, he's also the host of the Measure Up podcast. We've got some synergy there, the Rev Up and the Measure Up. Uh, where he talks to marketers, analysts, and founders about all things marketing measurement. Uh, the Rev Up, this show, uh, is brought to you by Trust the Process. Uh, Trust the Process is where all SMEs should come to get help with finding offshore staff members, uh, particularly in the Philippines, and... Uh, for anything in sales, marketing, operations, customer service, um, and also HubSpot admin. Uh, but also, if you want help in implementing or improving uh, your use of HubSpot or ActiveCampaign. Uh, on the show today, Jim and I cover a whole host of topics. Uh, we spend most of our time talking about marketing analytics and marketing measurement. Um, this was an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed having Jim on the show. He knows his stuff <laughs> to the absolute depths um, and he's really good at what he does. So I hope you all enjoy. Welcome to the show, Jim Ginolio. Uh, thanks, Ben. I uh, appreciate the, the opportunity to get on here and talk to your audience and geek out about all things attribution <laughs> and, and uh, marketing. Oh, that sounds good to me. We we met through um, a mutual friend, actually, uh, John McGowan, who I believe you're on the uh, measurement Slack with. Shout out to to John McGowan. Yeah, I love John. I've never met him in person, but you know we've been on various Zoom calls and and that measure chat uh, Slack group. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny dude, a uh, very old friend of mine. Uh, okay, so. I want to, I was really keen to have you on this show because obviously your area of, of expertise um, is marketing measurement, marketing analytics and measurement of, of marketing activities and channels. Um, and I think this is, you know, it's a particularly big challenge for a lot of businesses. And getting uh, harder. <laughs> nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you actually started out though as a, as a photojournalist and ended up in... Marketing analytics. How <laughs> the heck does that happen? Talk us through it. Yeah, I mean, do you want the the long or the short version? <laughs> I'll try to the, keep it somewhat. Let's, yeah, let's go the uh, the the half a glass of wine version. Lovely. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I I went to school for commercial art and photojournalism, which was you know a great degree to not help me with marketing analytics, but uh, you know I worked in in newspapers for the first decade, you know, after undergrad, uh, as a photo, uh, photojournalist, um, taking pictures, writing stories. And then, uh, you know, through a, a series of unfortunate events, I was working for a, a, a small sort of a regional magazine, uh, doing, it was actually a dream job for about six months. I, um, the magazine was called glucose magazine, terrible name. Cause you think it's like for diabetics, but it was actually, uh, outdoor and adventure sports, uh, right. was the theme of the magazine. And so for six months, I got to uh, mountain bike, camp, kayak, rock climb, uh, you name it. Like if it was outdoors, I was out there doing it, photographing it, writing stories about it. Uh, and then mm -hmm. the magazine lost its funding. So I was out of a job. I found out the day I got back from my honeymoon that the magazine had folded. <laughs> so wow, that was, timing. that was, yeah, that was kind of the, the turning point that I realized, yeah, maybe this, maybe, maybe this photojournalism thing isn't all. It's cut out to be because it, it is a very low paying job. It is, you have yeah. to be in it for the passion of it and like telling the stories. But um, from there, I kind of went through a, a series of circuitous events and ended up getting hired at, a, at an, another newspaper, but basically doing like grunt work. Like I would type in the obituaries mm. and right. type in like house sale, like the, 
you know, the stuff that the newspapers just have to kind of put in there to, as filler. And then through word of mouth, I found out that the newspaper was trying to build a marketing department to sort of supplement its classified ads. They wanted to do TV commercials and radio commercials and PR and website building and everything, um, which was kind of crazy. And, and it, I don't re really think it ever took off, but I found out about it. And for one reason or another, they actually said, yeah, you're the person we want to direct this. So I got into that and, uh, you know, we were, we, I was, I was creating TV commercials, writing the scripts, doing the audio voiceovers. Wow. Uh, we bought a camera and I would go out to like local businesses and like film, you know, like remember this one, it was a, a carpet store. And so we kind of filmed the carpets like going past and like, it was, it was great fun, learned a ton. Um, but that's kind of where I got into the digital side. Cause one of the things that we claimed to do, <laughs> which was like, if we sold a job for it, it would be like me quickly finding out how to do it was, um, was, uh, digital marketing. Uh, so we, we did yep. SEO and paid search and all of that fun stuff too. You know, as a newspaper doing that kind of stuff was a little bit comical, but, um, but that kind of got me into SEO and I kind of started reading into it a little bit. And my wife and I had a side business uh, as photographers. So we had our, I had our own website and I was always kind of tinkering around with like SEO and I'd just been finding out about this. This is like back in 2005. Sorry. I think I'm already past a half glass of wine. I'll keep going though. <laughs> <laughs> so right, I'll drink, I'll drink this one slowly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, this is around 2005 and I was kind of tinkering around with, you know, building websites and, and doing, learning this thing called SEO and then uh, kind of started going deep on that and subscribed to all the blogs and started reading as much content as I could and really getting into that. And uh, eventually had an opportunity to go to a company called Lunametrics. Uh, this was back in 2008, uh, doing SEO. So that was kind of my first, like my mm. first professional, like now I'm, I'm an SEO, I'm a digital marketer. Um, so I did that for a few years at Lunametrics, left to go to another agency also doing SEO for, for larger clients. So I had an opportunity at this, um, uh, agency called impact, uh, which was also in Pittsburgh and they were eventually acquired by Merkle. Um, but they had, you know, they were a little bit farther along, um, than Lunametrics at the time. And they had larger kind of fortune hundred fortune 500 clients. So I got to work with insurance agents and CPG brands doing SEO. And then around the time of all of the, uh, updates to Google, like Penguin and Panda and all of the other black and white up animal updates. I just kind of got burned out a little bit and, um, mm. you know, things were kind of changing. It was all about like content and link building. And those were never my forte. I was always more on the technical side, you know, making sure that your yeah. site was structured in a certain way and all that. And so I had an opportunity to actually go back to Lunametrics, but shifting from SEO into analytics. So yeah. that's where I kind of, that's where I've been ever since really. I've, uh, kind of went all in on, on analytics, a lot more, uh, straightforward, a little bit less like guesswork or, oh, we think that Google's algorithm works this way. It's, you know, digital analytics is a lot easier. You put the code on the site, you track the things that you need to track and the data is right there looking at you, you know, it's a little bit, a little yeah. bit more straightforward. So yeah, that's where I've been ever since. Um, uh, you know, Lunametrics was acquired back in uh, end of 2017, early 2018 by a company uh, out of Chicago called HS2 Solutions. Uh, we've since had several other acquisitions and kind of rebranded um, all of the kind of companies that came together as Bounteous. Um, and right as that was happening, I was getting a master's degree of uh, master's of science and in information technology from Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon University, um, kind of focusing on data science, you know, business intelligence and data analytics um, and kind of ended that degree right as the acquisitions was, were happening. Yeah. So it's kind of fortunate because I was planning on basically leaving, you know, Luna metrics because we didn't really have a data science team, but then the acquisition came and lo and behold, we had a data science team. So I was able <laughs> to just kind of stay put and, and keep chugging along. And, uh, yeah. And that was, you know, gosh, that's been, uh, five years since that happened. And since then I've been still just working here at Bounteous, uh, shifted roles back and forth a little bit, but more or less always focusing on, uh, marketing analytics, marketing science, um, and currently yeah. really just trying to help clients understand how to measure their marketing, how to, um, make better decisions based on the, the data that's coming out of their marketing. So we're focused on things like marketing mixed modeling, randomized controlled trials, um, various forms of attribution. So. Nice. And, um, 
who are you who are you guys doing that for like who is your kind of core customer uh so we have several uh business unit kind of verticals um so everything from uh consumer goods to uh restaurants and quick serve restaurants to financial to health uh to industry so we kind of have most of the big pillars of yeah. different industries um you know clients like coca-cola nestle um Trying to think of the big names that everyone would would uh, be familiar yeah. with, uh, Wawa. Well, I asked this. Is, yeah. I asked this question in part because um, uh, a lot of our audience are mm-hmm. smaller businesses too, mm-hmm. um, and so I always try and create a little bit of context for them because sometimes some of the concepts that we talk about, um, you know, you do have to deliver them sometimes slightly differently for small businesses than you Absolutely. do for, for bigger ones in terms of like what you can afford to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said a couple of things in there that I think are really interesting. I, I actually, like, I love that um, you went from a very, I would say, like, creative start to your career and moved in, well, not to say that data science is not creative in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, but you went from the very sort of creative side of, of the world of marketing, advertising, et cetera, to the very logical side, which I think is um, an interesting transition. Do you, was that just that you you found stuff that you liked and you were really good at and so um, kind of landed there? It, it, it organically happened or... Uh, or should you have just been there all the time or like, how, how did that kind of, how does that kind of happen? When do you make that, when do you make that realization where you go, Oh, I don't want to do all these creative things anymore. I don't want to make ads and I don't want to do video. And for, I want to do, I want to work in the numbers. Yeah. I mean, so I was just talking with someone, um, the other day about this, uh, the fact that like, and I didn't realize this until I was talking with them that like n- most people are either analytical or creative not both. <laughs> I mean, some people are both. And I guess that's, you know, I, I would count myself there. I, I like both sides. I like the creative aspects of things. I like the, the, the data sides of things, the, the logic and, and analytic sides of things. Um, and I've always kind of gone back and forth. So it's always been sort of natural for me. Um, even back when I was an undergrad, I went from commercial art major. I switched, uh, switched degrees to computer science and then I switched back yeah. to commercial art and it's like, I've always, I've always enjoyed both. Um, so, right. you know, usually when I'm kind of doing more of one thing, I always have some, you know, it's a little side project that, that, that fulfills the other needs. So, you know, yeah. right now I'm, I'm <laughs> in the data science side. So I have some, some things that I work on on the side that kind of feed my, my creative appetite. I, I have to ask a question um, because I have cats also what is your cat doing in the background? Oh, no. He's trying to climb out the window. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if they were going to make an appearance. So, yeah, that's uh, that's Juniper, and he likes to climb. So, <laughs> Oh, nice. We've got, a, we've got a couple of cats, and actually they often make an appearance in the background here. Um, <laughs> that was fantastic. I, just see, I could just see him scraping at the corner of the window trying to get out. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Okay, the other thing you said that I, fe- I thought was really interesting, which will resonate with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of the smaller and medium-sized business owners, is um, you went through a period of time where you were kind of, uh, the business was selling SEO or selling something, and then you were figuring out how to do it. <laughs> I think that yeah. resonates oh, with yeah. a lot of business owners, to be honest. <laughs> nice. And what, um, what is, I'll tell you what I really want to know. What is firing you up in the world of marketing analytics at the moment because there's obviously a lot of stuff going on uh you know the obligatory mention of ai etc cetera, etc cetera. tell me what's what's going on in your world what's what's firing you up about about the world of marketing analytics at the moment yeah i mean i'll have to not say like chat gpt or, or ai um because i've kind of held off of like diving into that i'm afraid that if i go into that i'm just gonna, just gonna like suck me in uh, so yeah. i haven't gotten too deep in there yet but uh the thing that i've been just banging on for the past couple of years few years really has been trying to trying to get marketers to have a better understanding of how to measure what they're doing um so getting away from just multi-touch attribution and thinking about things like marketing mix modeling 
um, and randomized controlled trials to to really get a better understanding of of what's driving your your conversions, your sales, your orders, whatever it might be, um, and and trying to get just you know a better understanding of these these methods that you know MMM has been around for decades. Uh, it's definitely kind of making um, surging a little bit more in popularity lately as things like regulatory pressures like GDPR and CCPA and you know Apple throwing the wrench into the system with ITP and ATT and lots of these acronyms that basically just mean that our data is going away. Um, so we have to find out better ways to, or, or other ways to, to measure what's working and what's not. So I kind of went all in on that a few years ago and have, you know, just been enjoying it and, and having a great time with it. So talk to me about marketing mixed modeling. Cause I know I spoke with John a little bit about that as well. Um, we obviously, we obviously have a, a lot of, um, uh, business founders and owners that listen to this podcast. When I say a lot, by the way, I'm not talking like a, a lot, a lot. I'm talking a lot for me. Um, <laughs> so give us the, the how should they be thinking about it? Well, actually, maybe let's start from what is it? How should they be thinking about it? Uh, what's the kind of outcome that it helps us work towards? Yeah, absolutely. So one way to think about it is to just take a really super simple example. Right, and to think about how a, a human would would see patterns in the data. So let's say you're you're a small business, and you know you don't you're not you're not advertising on twelve different channels and all over the place. You're just, maybe you're just running Facebook ads, and that's fine. And so you know you look at your daily revenue, or maybe you look at it weekly, but hopefully maybe daily you have some daily revenue numbers in a in a dashboard somewhere. And then you have in Facebook, you can see how much you're spending every day. And imagine you put together a, a chart, right, that shows. So just a line graph and in a blue line, you see your daily revenue and maybe it's kind of spiking up and down and maybe it's, maybe it's higher during the week and then maybe it dips down a little bit on the weekends. Maybe there's some, some seasonal patterns there, but you kind of see the patterns of, of the, of the revenue data kind of up and down. Um, and then that's, that's in the blue line on the chart. And then and overlaid on that in a red line, you see your Facebook marketing spend daily as well. Right. And as humans, we're fantastic at seeing patterns in data, especially when it's visual like this. Um, in fact, we're too good at it. Oftentimes we see patterns where there's actually no uh, causal nature, no correlation, right? There's, there's a whole wonderful site called Spurious Correlations where you can see, you know, uh, a lot of funny things. We'll have to save that for another time, but just Google Spurious Correlations. There's a lot of great graphs of like, the number of Nicolas Cage movies released in the summer uh, is correlated with increased deaths uh, by drowning, I think, <laughs> is it? Or something like that. It's crazy. Anyway, humans are, <laughs> humans are great at seeing patterns in data. So imagine you see these, this red line and this blue line, and you see, oh, you know, on this day that I kind of I, I doubled my, my marketing spend, maybe I spent $1,000 a day. I, I, this certain day, you know, I really pushed it a little bit harder, and I spent $2,000. Oh, and look, the, on that day where I doubled my spend, my, my revenue increased by – you know, 48%. Wow. And over here, when my ads got taken down for, you know, I used the wrong words and they got banned or whatever, and my ads were down for three days, I noticed that my revenue dipped down by like 28%, right? We, we see these, these patterns in the data. So at a very simple example, very simple level, that's what marketing mixed modeling is doing. It's just looking at the relationships between your marketing spend and various channels over time and your revenue over time. Um, and it's, and it's seen the patterns in data when it goes, when this marketing spend goes up, your revenue goes up by this much, when it goes down, it goes down by this much. And it's kind of keeping track of those patterns over time. Now it, 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 it is a lot more complicated than that. There's a lot more nuance to it, but that's kind of a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Now, obviously as is you the, throw is in the, it, is the point yeah. there to just, um, this is not my area of expertise. So I apologize if I don't ask particularly good questions about it, but here's, um, is is the point here really that um, because we're looking at a revenue number and we might have a number of things that we're doing, maybe we have one, but maybe we have three or four things, mm -hmm. is the point that the revenue number is the ultimate goal. It is the ultimate objective to see that going up. And so um, some of our marketing channels don't necessarily directly transact. And so we're not always going to be able to see Facebook uh you know, particularly things around content. Um, but Facebook ads might not be driving a huge direct 
ROAS, return on advertising spend. But when you turn Facebook ads off, it has a, a flow-on impact to your other channels. Um, and so maybe it's not directly driving it, but it's driving something else in the background. Is that is that the reason why you kind of compare it all back to a revenue number? Yeah, those are the great points. Um, and so the the simple example that I laid out, I was like, oh, we spent more on this day and our revenue went up on this day. Um, there's a lot more to sort of a more fully blown uh, marketing mix model where you can throw in things like uh, a term called ad stock, which is kind of what you alluded to where like maybe Facebook isn't leading directly. It's not the last click before the purchase, right? It's, it's influencing someone's decision that might happen a week from now. So you can use uh, ad stock transformations on the data to kind of build in that that reality. You're basically trying to statistically model reality. And so ad stock basically is a way to say, you know, when we run ads on, let's say, YouTube, uh, you know, YouTube ads or TV ads, um, the effect of those ads still kind of lingers over time. And so you might run an ad today and it's still sort of 60% effective the next day and then from you know 60 percent down the next day and so it kind of you know tails off like that um so you can use things like ad stock to kind of model that behavior so it's not just a you know on this day marketing spend went up and revenue went up it's not like kind of doesn't have mm. to be like that now there the, the criticism is still valid um around marketing mix modeling even with modeling for things like ad stock um you know it it can still have a tendency to possibly overweight sort of lower funnel activities, right? You can think of, you know, brands that have spent, you know, millions over the years with, you know, brand awareness campaigns, TV commercials, mm -hmm. Super Bowl ads, where they're just, you know, they're, they're giving good feelings to the people who see them. And maybe it, you know, over time, it kind of builds this, you know, builds this brand that then you kind of, uh, are able to, you know, more easily capture demand when that's there. Um, and, you know, that sort of long lasting sort of brand building doesn't always get captured perfectly in, in a marketing mix model. Um, but it's, it's the best we have and it does a better job, I would say, than, um, than some other methods. So, What's the what's the goal really? Like what's good in terms of of accuracy? I mean, is that even possible to to think of it that way? Like are we are we trying to to get to a place where we feel like um, you know, it's seventy five percent the truth, it's eighty percent the truth. Like where where are we trying to get to with uh with how we analyze the the marketing data? Yeah, so I would say we're always trying to reduce uncertainty there's always mm. going to be uncertainty. We're never going to get hundred percent accuracy, hundred percent truth, mm. right? The, the trick is, um, you know, again, to, to reduce the uncertainty, um, and, you know, realize that that comes at a cost, right? It might be through, you know, either hiring an agency or internally building out marketing mix modeling, or there's a cost associated with that. Uh, it might be through running my running randomized controlled experiments to see what's the incremental lift in a certain channel, right? That comes with cost as well. Um, and you know, one thing that I've really been pushing for with with marketers and digital marketers, especially, is trying to break them of this of this notion that there's a, a silver bullet. There's that one single tool that oh, I just use this and it tells me the answers. Um, you know, I think we've been sort of lulled into that over the past decade as you know, tools and ad tech vendors come out and, you know, Google analytics has data driven attribution and, you know, AdWords uses its thing. And it just tells us here it has a column for ROAS. That's what it is. Right. And we kind of, we kind of have been sort of led to believe that because we're tracking all of this data and we, you know, we have all this data being collected from our users that we've never had before. And this is, you know, a decade ago when all of a sudden we can track our users. Right. Um, we kind of, Along with that, I feel like marketers thought that because we had all this tracking, that you know these tools and these vendors were saying, "Oh, we we have this data driven thing," and maybe there's machine learning in the background, and so that just use that answer. And and the problem is, a to your point, like what's right? What's a good accuracy? What should we be going for? No, for the first point, everyone always thought it was like exact, it was precise because 
we were collecting all this data, but I would say like, it's never been perfect, right? Even before GDPR and, and before Apple started making all of their changes, you know, there were still huge gaps in our data, just, you know, especially once you think, you know, around, you know, you know, the early 2010s, as the iPhone came out, smartphones came out, all of a sudden you have the likelihood that people are getting to your site and viewing your marketing on different devices. Like, mm that breaks multi-touch attribution, right? You can't connect the dots to a single user if they're using their phone and then their laptop and their work computer, like that's broken, right? And they're yeah. watching your ads on their CTV, like on their TV, like this idea, like, you know, even before GDPR, like that was a little bit crazy. Like I forget what the statistics were around like the average number of devices a user uses, but it was like more than three or <laughs> more than two for sure. Mm. So like this whole idea that, oh, multi-touch attribution, data-driven attribution, we have all the data, like that's always been fallacy. Um, and it's mm. just been since GDPR and, and more specifically with Apple that, you know, that we've started to realize that the emperor has no clothes. And so mm. now we're starting to realize, yeah. oh, okay, well, if this multi-touch attribution thing that I always thought was like perfect and, and real and truth, it really isn't, what do I use? And, and what we recommend is... Um, triangulating through multiple methods. So, and, you know, realizing too, that this isn't necessarily, um, you know, possible for every, every company organization. If you're sort of a small business, you may not have the resources to be doing multi-touch attribution and marketing mix modeling and randomized controlled trials and all of these things we're talking about. Um, but I would say, A, stop, you know, start to realize that that one thing that you used to use that told you what your ROAS was, probably isn't right and definitely isn't right it, it might be close to a good answer but mm. you know if you can try to corroborate that with something else use surveys right that's another method you can use to try to yeah corroborate um well let's talk about that in a second because um i think this this point or you you mentioned there being uh data driven i mean i reckon it was probably 10 years ago i started hearing particularly big companies saying we're data driven we're data driven we're data driven <laughs> And um, the truth is in marketing, they weren't and they still aren't, right? Because just because you have the data doesn't mean that your decisions are driven by the data. And I think one of the things you were maybe alluding to there that, that we see all the time, because we, we, um, we help businesses implement HubSpot, an active campaign, and help them organize all of or at least organize their data so they can see exactly what's happening with their leads, where they're generating from all those things. And um, what we what we see and what I've seen the last bunch of years is that what it's forced businesses to do, this data-driven approach, is that they're just investing in the things that they can measure, not the things that work. Yeah, and so like they'd rather drive all of their spend into a 1% converting... Uh, ad campaign because they can see exactly what's going on and they have the data around it, even if that, let's be honest, is inaccurate. But because they can see it, that makes them data-driven rather than what's actually working, where are your customers actually coming from? Oh, we can't so, measure it? Well, let's not do it then. Right? Exactly. It's, it's like the drunk guy trying to find his keys and he's looking right beneath the lamppost because that's where the light is. It doesn't matter that his keys are like underneath the car in the dark, right? But there's no light over that's there, so he can't, he can't look there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I suppose um, a drunk person shouldn't be looking for their keys. They should just call an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The most important point. The most yes. important point. Um you you mentioned something there about um about a little bit earlier about uh so Facebook locks you out of your leads or or AdWords or whoever. You've done something wrong and you get locked out. I'd love to get your take on this because I've had this conversation with a few people. How often is the accidental test the one that leads to the best insight? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, Facebook locks you out. It's you, it's off. You didn't intend to do it, and then something pops up, and you go, "Oh, that's interesting." I'll, I'll give you an example while you while you ponder the question for a moment. Um, years ago, I was working for a, um, a company that recruited international students from like 160 countries around the world. Um, 
I had a team in in a bunch of different countries speaking 14 different languages to recruit students into universities, right? In uh, Australia, the US, Canada, UK, all over. And uh, we were recruiting a lot of students out of um, Arabic-speaking countries, right? We had a few team members essentially go out we go out sick or be away for about three weeks where we had no Arabic speakers for about three weeks. And with the students that came through at that time for their master's degrees, we saw the conversion rates massively spike, massively spike. We were like, what the heck has happened here? <laughs> and it turned out that students coming from uh, Arabic-speaking countries that want to do masters have typically already done university overseas, and for some reason, a person with a British accent speaking English converted significantly higher, and we continued <laughs> on down that path. And it was just a total accident. We did not oh, need man. Arabic speakers for the master students. That total is Total so accident funny. totally changed things, but it was an accidental yeah. test. Right, forced into it. it wasn't something we'd planned to test, but there you go. You know, have you something... seen those sorts of things happen before? Yeah, and I would just say there's something about a British accent that maybe it's cultural differences, but like you know, if I hear someone talking in a British accent, I automatically assume they know what they're talking about and they're authoritative, authoritative <laughs> in my mind because they've had, they have the accent. It's just I listen to a lot of podcasts and some of them with you know yeah. with, with people over in the UK, and it's just like. Sometimes I catch myself thinking, oh, this person is so smart. And then I think, wait a minute, why do I think uh, that? Is it because they're, they're speaking It's like a colonial holdover or something I know, like that. right? They've still got the power. Yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, to your question though, like the, how often do these sort of accidental experiments um, happen or even provide the, the most insights? I, I would say, I, I would say in my experience, they happen a lot, but they go unnoticed. Um, or they, they, you know, the, the team just doesn't have enough bandwidth to give it any thought. There's, they just, you know, the, the ads got canceled. They were off for a week and, oh no, we got to hurry up and turn them back on. And no one thinks to say, Hey, wait, this is interesting. Let's, let's see what happened here when they were off and let's look at how that, that impacted our sales during that time. Um, I think, you know, it depends on how many resources you have and how much time you have your people to, if you have someone dedicated to just analyzing the data, they might be able to look at that. But otherwise it's, you know, just churning through the, the job of the day and like getting things up and, and working. Um, and it, it can be a little bit harder sometimes, especially depending on the, the scale of the accident, right? Like, it might be a smaller accident where maybe just one campaign was paused for a few days and maybe, you know, to really see if there was actually any impact or what that impact was, you might actually have to run sort of a, a causal impact analysis and, and some, use some fun advanced statistics to really kind of get at that, you know, that underlying change that may have been happened. But, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, something that you should be, people should be more aware of and at least, at the bare minimum, you see something like you know, an accident like that happen, like at least look at it, you know, just look in the data and see, did it, does it look like it had a change or an impact? And if yeah. so, maybe kind of play around with it and think about it. Yeah. Like just if, if there, if there happens to be a change, whether accident or not, it's worth looking at, right? Working, yeah. looking at the impact. Um, so when you get your hands on a new business, right? <laughs> A client or whoever it happens to be, what what's the sort of process that you follow to kind of go from like discovery and figure out what they're doing, what they need to change, and what we're kind of looking for? What's the what's the steps you go through that somebody could maybe go at least partially through for themselves if they wanted to do it for themselves? What's the what's the approach? Yeah, so you know the the work that I'm doing it's typically around attribution usually involves marketing mix modeling or some form of that, maybe some test and learn programs. And so the first thing that we always look at is the data, the, the, the situation with the data. Um, mm -hmm. and, and more times than not, that's a blocker. Um, because companies, you know, even 
super large companies that you would think, oh, I'm sure they have like super advanced systems and all of their data and the state of warehouse and it's all structured and they have data dictionaries that tells everything what's in there and defines it. And, you know, they have super advanced pipelines and ETL systems and data engineers working. No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> some of them, I mean, I'm sure some of them do. I'm sure there's some great companies out there that, you know, have all of that. But, you know, a lot of times we get called in because they don't have that. So, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of times we have companies and they want to, they want to do some advanced analysis and marketing analysis and marketing mix modeling. And we come in and we say, well, can you, can you show us your data warehouse, your marketing data warehouse? And they say, well, we have a little bit of, you know, our Facebook data over here and we have some, some analytics data over there and our CRM system data that's, that's over here. And, and it's just completely disorganized. Mm. Um, and you know, so the first step is always getting the data side in order. Um, you, you can't do any of this advanced analysis without good, clean, well thought through structured data. Um, mm. So, and, and, you know, data that is getting updated frequently, right? So it's not just like, oh, you know, here's our data from last year. It's all in this one place. Um, unless it's getting updated frequently, it's, it's, you know, not going to be worth much, you know, six months from now or a year mm. from now. So uh, a lot of the yeah. work that we end up doing starts with that, right? Because we have to have the data in good order and, and getting it, you know, updated frequently to really provide the value afterwards with the analysis and, and the modeling. Yeah. What what typically causes the problems? What's like, what are the mistakes people make <laughs> in their data? I mean, aside from just not capturing it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I guess um, not capturing it usually isn't the case, right? Because, you know, you, people usually have Google Analytics on their website or some analytics on their website. Um, and if they're running Google ads or Facebook ads, that data is there, right? It's being captured. Um I would, I would say the, it's not necessarily a, a mistake that people are making. Um, I would say it's something that, um, people are realizing is valuable and that there's a reason to start organizing their data together in this way. Um, it, it hasn't always been the case and there hasn't been, you know, always been, uh, the idea that like, oh, I have my analytics data over here. I have my HubSpot data over here. I have my Facebook data here, my ads data here. Why I should put that all together in one place. And like, um, you know, maybe, maybe large organizations, that's, that's been something that they've done. Um, but you know, certainly like smaller organizations, you have resource constraints and you can't do everything and you know, it's fine to have data in its own place. Um, and it's funny because, you know, so, so Google put out a, uh, an open source package um, and the sort of methodology that they called regression-based attribution or RBA, uh, which is basically just marketing mix modeling, but only for your digital channels. And in this mm. sort of, this paper that they kind of put out along with it, you know, they talk about, oh, this is great because, you know, because all of the, you know, we're just looking at digital data. So all the data is easy to get and it's easy to work with. And you can update it quickly. It's like, yeah, in a perfect world, if, you know, you have, you know, an ETL tool, maybe you're using Fivetran or something like that to like pull all of your data together and you're using maybe, uh, you know, BigQuery or Azure or some, you know, cloud data warehouse to store it all or Snowflake, right? Um, but this is all new to a lot of people, right? Not a lot of businesses are sort of at the high end of the maturity scale in, in this respect. Um, so, I mean, it's moving that way. Sure. And, and some companies are already there, but there's still a lot of laggards that are kind of playing makeup here, trying to get their data in order. Um, is there anything you like, let's say for example, uh, you're a small to mid-sized business mm -hmm. and you're just wanting to make sure that you, uh, kind of start from the right basis. Are there any tools or um, how, how would you suggest they get, they go about that? Right. And, and just so we're clear, like when you say small to mid, are we talking like 10 million revenue to a hundred million or one to 10 million? Like, uh, I would say, uh, one to one to 50 is usually the, okay. the sorts of people I'm talking about. Uh, obviously there's a big difference between those businesses. The ones mm -hmm. are really starting out. Um, but maybe let's just talk in the t 10 to 50 range. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I would say, um, 
so this is going to sound a little bit probably controversial, but I would say use last click. <laughs> use last click attribution. Um, yeah. And I have to explain a little bit, right? Like people are probably screaming at their phones right now saying, this idiot, why is it? We spent the past 10 years getting off of last click because it was a stupid way to look at things. And we use, we're fancy now. We have multi-touch attribution, but, but, you know, like I talked about before, there's a ton of reasons why multi-touch attribution is just um, failing, right? Especially now with the data kind of going away. Um, the way that I've been thinking about it more now is, you know, use last click, but when you're using last click, don't look at that final conversion, right? Because if you're looking at last click, last click attribution to sales, of course, you're going to overvalue bottom of the funnel activity, right? But you need to take a step back and think, what is it that I'm trying to achieve with these different channels or these different tactics? And I'm going to use that as my framework. So the goal of my paid search campaign, that's performance. I want people to click on the ad and buy. So that's about bottom funnel. My goal for paid search is they click and they purchase. And so that's my goal for that. So sure, last click. I'm going to see you know how many purchases I got from paid search based on a last click model. But when you talk about something like, let's say you're running some some video ads on YouTube and it's not about call to action. It's not about purchase now. It's more about like learning about the company and learning about the brand or your product. And it's more awareness. Selling right? the problem. Exactly. Um, you know, the goal of that isn't to get someone to click on it and make a purchase. The goal there is to get them aware of the problem, get them aware of your company, of your product, things like that. And so use last click towards those goals and objectives. And the, the, the thing you have to think through is, okay, what are the KPIs there? What are the metrics I'm looking at? So you might look at things like, um, you might look at impressions, right? How many people did you reach? That's certainly one of the, uh, the metrics that you want to, you know, if you're trying to reach a broader audience, you want to know how many impressions you got. Um, but impressions can get a little bit, um, not very valuable because, you know, if you're paying, you know, you could pay $20, $20 CPM for impressions or you could pay $100 CPM for impressions and those impressions are going to be very different, right? It depends on how they're being targeted and what audience you're reaching and that kind of stuff. So you can't just look at just the number of impressions, but the way you can qualify that and you can say, well, you know, we're, the goal of this ad isn't to get them necessarily to click on it, but certainly some people are going to click on it and, and follow through. So uh, that could be a measure of the importance of the impressions, right? So if you're reaching the right audience and you're getting thousands of impressions and it's the right audience, some of them are going to click. Um, so that's, you know, you can use clicks or click through rate as a sort of, of metric of, you know, yes, you got a lot of impressions, but what was the quality of those impressions? And then you could even look at even one more step further and engagement with the site based on how many pages they viewed or did they fill out the form or did they, you know, watch the video on your site or, you know, other various, whatever, whatever engagement is on your website that's important to you. You can see that because as another gauge of, um, you know, how valuable those impressions were, right? But yeah. again, the point is you're not you're not you're not using last click to say okay someone watched this ad on YouTube and then they clicked it and they purchased and and so that's how I'm going to value that YouTube ad. You're saying well I'm going to value it based on primarily on on impressions, but I'm also going to consider click through rate and site engagement as a, as another way to kind of gauge the value of those impressions. But the the goal of that ad is brand awareness. It's a, it's getting a broader reach to more eyeballs. So that's what you want to measure it on. Yeah, and you can use last yeah, so, click for that. Uh, you don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to worry about cookies being deleted and all of that. You just, yeah. last click works. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I've cert I'm certainly seeing a lot of B2B businesses actually moving their advertising spend towards awareness campaigns. Lots of them getting good return on, on focusing, yeah, focusing their advertising spend on, you know, selling the problem on education, on, um, you know, creating audience and you know, bringing that that audience into some owned controllable platforms, like much more focus on on how they uh, build awareness, sell the problem, build audience, all that sort of stuff, which uh, is interesting. Um, we've, I mean, we personally, because of this, um, because of this challenge around attribution, changed the way that we measure for ourselves, um, and because of that, have changed the way we help. 
companies set up their CRM system. Um, and one of the big biggest changes is, and I think this this probably speaks to something I know is like a big belief of yours. Um, you do you have to decide what you what the goal is. <laughs> What's the what are we actually trying to achieve, and then build your metrics off the back of it. And I think most businesses, unfortunately fall into the trap of just measuring based on leads. And I think leads are a pretty terrible metric uh, because they only really tell one story and a very limited story. And they're also not very... Uh, they're also It's not a very good metric in terms of quality either. You know, if you're going to measure a marketing team based on leads, what you find over time is that the lead quality declines in order to hit the lead number target. Exactly. Um, and then the sales so team shifted, is sales team yeah, is complaining, ah, oh, they're giving us garbage leads. <laughs> yeah, and then everyone's going, oh, the sales team just needs to work harder. <laughs> right, uh, Which right. I very rarely <laughs> found to be the actual truth. Um, but so we, we moved to a model where essentially we break the two things out. And this is by no means our idea, uh, but uh, break the two things out and we say a portion of our marketing is about demand creation uh, and a portion of our marketing is about demand capture. Mm-hmm. And so essentially it's like, what? Uh, how did they hear about us? Why are they talking to us versus what is the path they took to get to us? Right, I'm really trying to separate those two things out so that we can focus with some better metrics and KPIs around which one. Um, and then in the sales pipeline and in the capture, moving towards self-reported attribution. So the customer tells us how they heard about us. Um, you know, And that yeah. might be from a business networking event. It might be from a podcast. And the biggest outcome of this is that in the work that we do, which is B2B, which is technology, which is outsourcing, the truth is that the vast majority of our convertible and converting pipeline comes from referrals, from business networking, uh, and from content marketing. It doesn't come from ads. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It gets it's to a- us from ads. It gets to us through our website. It gets to us through, honestly, even like organic social. It's not... They didn't. They didn't find out about us through organic social in in the, the most part. They heard about us somewhere else, looked us up on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever, and then DM'd us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and sometimes you have to, you just have to be strategic and say like, okay, I know my audience. I know this is where they hang out. I know this is how they consume content. So I'm going to make a bet. I'm going to I'm going to do a podcast, even though it's not you know, hugely measurable in terms of how many leads it brought, right? Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this conference. I'm going to put a booth up at this conference. Like, you know, yeah, you can measure how many, how many badges you scanned and and who talked, who you talked to at this conference. But, you know, like with B2B and SaaS and a lot of times with um, like account-based marketing where it's a long sales cycle, like, you know, that gets lost in the noise. Like you're never going to be able to Mm. like sort of, concretely prove out like, oh, we were at this conference and that caused this person at this company to recommend us to his CFO who ended up, you know, doing the yeah. purchase order and like there you know, with long sales cycles that and third B2B, and like, fourth. That, oh my gosh, yeah. That third and fourth generation, like uh, yeah. give give up on that. But like and there's definitely some some error in the self-reported attribution because let's be honest, some people don't remember. Uh, where they heard about us. But the thing that we are finding that we can measure more because of it is are things like the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we talked earlier about, um, you know, uh, figure it out in order to sell it. (laughs) Like we're literally doing that now. We've been doing this for ourselves uh, for seven or eight months. We're already generating significant pipeline and return on doing these podcasts. Um, but we can only track that because we ask the question once they enter the sales pipeline of where'd you hear about us? And we're getting people saying the podcast, nice. right? Uh, yeah, and, and so many people event, would, networking yeah. community, et cetera. Yeah. And so many people like don't do surveys <laughs> and, mm, and they're missing, yep. you know, they, they have Google analytics and then that has their, you know, data driven attribution. They, they completely miss out on that. Yeah. And even sur- surveys like, um, 
the thing that I'm finding, even with surveying customers, is actually the the best insights still happen in customer interviews, right? Yeah, I think it's so. I think it's so funny where we've gone on this cycle of becoming so data driven and so digital is that we are starting because of things like GDPR and you know and Apple and Facebook and whoever else trying you know, uh, having to change the way they track data and what data they can give us because of that a lot of companies are starting to realize that some of the best stuff they do is done in person face-to-face or, you know, in conversation or not through a website or not through Facebook or not through any of these other digital channels. We're starting to see that, that, you know, think a bit more creatively about how we measure it, think a bit more creatively about how we deliver it. And lots of companies are seeing that, like, actually going to that conference and exhibiting and meeting all those people, actually it does have a big impact um, and maybe that is better spend than spending it on SEO or something like that, especially when you were only spending on SEO because somebody came through organic search uh, <laughs> that actually saw your CEO speak at an event six months ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. Yeah. There's, I was, I was just listening to a podcast earlier today and I'd have to think a little bit to, remember exactly which one it was because I'm a bit of a junkie with podcasts. I listen to a lot of them, <laughs> but um, yep. they, they were talking about the idea that like there's this return to um, human marketing, like being human um, and, and not, like you said, not, not being so heads down and data driven. It's like, you know, actually like engaging with people and, and talking to them and, you know, and just having that kind of human element to it and not being so robotic about it. So. I think I think if you're in marketing, anybody in marketing should be having conversations with customers, like actual human conversations. I think it totally changes the dynamic. And I think even if you're responsible for um, interpreting and analyzing data, you should probably talk to some customers because understanding where they're coming from impacts how you view what you're seeing right Absolutely. knowing kn- knowing what their their interests and um problems and what their world looks like you know gives you a better understanding of how they might behave um i, I can imagine some some data analysts or data scientists like just cringing at that idea of like you mean i have to talk to a customer like <laughs> you know the data people have this sort of stereotype of being introverted probably somewhat yeah. rightly so um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily the data person. It could be the marketer. It could be someone on the team yeah. who's interviewing customers. L- maybe listen recording to some sales calls. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. Hear what they're saying. Hear and 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 um and what they're thinking and why they say yes and why they say no. It just gives a gives a better understanding for how we can manage their journey through marketing and into sales. Um, speaking of data scientists. Uh, this is going to be the most ham-fisted transition, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of data scientists, um, one of the things, one of the challenges that I see for a lot of a lot of businesses is that um, scaling marketing teams is maybe more challenging than it's ever been because um, you know a really very smart friend of mine always says um, marketing's so specialized now. It's like it's impossible for any one person to be a ten out of ten in all things marketing, right? Um, so what we see is that it's hard for some businesses to scale because they can't necessarily afford to have all of the individual skills required in order to get the job done. Whether that's uh, somebody managing ads, somebody writing copy, somebody building websites, somebody analyzing data, somebody but but email like. These are specialized skills. What do you think um, in your world of marketing analytics? Like what are the core skills required in order for somebody to be able to do this well? Like what are the parts of the team that you need to get a good result? Yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time of thinking of like, like you said, all those specialties. Like, because it used to be the case that you could have one person who did paid search, paid social, because it was just Google Ads and Facebook. And maybe they mm. did email too, right? Like it was a much simpler time just 10 years ago or five years ago. 
but now you have like all of the different channels and TikTok and Snapchat and Pinterest and there's and platform and, specialists too, like individual exactly. technologies. Yeah, your, yeah. your HubSpot specialist. Your mm-hmm. maybe you need somebody that runs Kajabi because you're doing uh, educational marketing. Like exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and on the sort of marketing analytics side, you know, we don't have to ha- have as deep channel specific knowledge necessarily. Um, Although I would say the more knowledge you have of how different channels work, the better you would be as a, as a marketing analyst. But really, it's more on the side of um, you know understanding the data, understanding kind of the the general way that marketing works, um, and then you know having that statistical background to be able to go in and and you know, build some models or run some some experiments uh, to try to understand what's working or what's not. Um, one thing that that I would say like. And I know I said we wouldn't dive into uh, AI and Chat GPT, but um, so there Do is. It. This is kind of no new. Fear. So like, so there was um, there's a new edition last Friday. What's today? Today's Tuesday, right? I think it was Friday. So last Friday, um, Chat GPT sort of soft launched to their developer community, just like to select whitelisted developers. Um, who are part of the, the paid program or, or, you know, paying the $20 a month and they have the, the plugins to chat GPT. Should I explain that? Or do you think the audience kind of is familiar with that? Yeah. yeah, so yeah everyone I, everyone I knows think, chat GPT uh, probably. Yeah. Okay. So chat GPT, you type in a question and the computer generates a very human like response. That's very smart. Sometimes it hallucinates, but usually it's, it's fairly good. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's a paid version of chat GPT where you actually can have, um, plugins. So before it was just, you type in a question or a prompt and then it outputs a, you know, puts out a, a response. Um, but now, uh, and I don't think this is generally available either. I think this also still in sort of beta, um, they have plugins. So ChatGPTP could interface with Kayak or with Expedia or with um, you know, Airbnb or other services that basically create these plugins that allow ChatGPT to access their underlying data. And so now you could say to ChatGPT, you know, hey, I'm going on vacation next week. Can you find, you know, which airport, book a flight and show me some hotels in the city and rank them by this order and go ahead and book the one that's closest. And like, you could, it's actually starting to be able Mm. to like go out and do things, not just give you a response. So the newest thing now that I just found out, this was just uh, talked about that I heard of last Friday is um, a, uh, I have to think of what they call it, the code um, interpreter. It's a code interpreter, which I think is a kind of a terrible name. But in essence, sort of the the demo that I saw was you're now able to upload, let's say, a CSV file to ChatGPT. Uh, CSV file could be of your marketing data, your revenue data, whatever it might be. And then you basically ask GTP, hey, can you, you know, basically give me a little bit of information about this data? You know, what's what's important here? What are the trends? Mm. And it basically does what we call exploratory data analysis. Right. It it is the data science that has kind of taken that first peek at the data and saying, like, okay, here's here's the here's what's in this CSV, here are the different columns of data, you know, here's some important trends in the data, here's the averages, here's you know, the uh, histogram of distribution of this or that that's in the data. Like it's doing that. Um and like there's still some caveats um and some things uh, to you know, deep in the details that I, I would point out as saying like, okay, yeah, but it hasn't considered this or that that hasn't. But um, very quickly, I could see a case where like, to your point, sorry, this is kind of a long way to answer. Um, <laughs> right. To your point, like it's harder than ever to hire good marketers and good analysts. But I think in the not too near future, the, at the quick pace that this is advancing, we'll have tools like this that can sort of supplement a, a marketer's abilities to to do some of these, these things that they used to have to have like a data scientist on staff to query the the data warehouse and write a custom query and output a response and like that'll be all you know just interfacing with chat gpt <laughs> seems like it although i i do remember um i remember uploading uh csv files to ibm watson that free version they had was that 
six six years ago, something like that. Oh, wow. And uh, being able to, it would then tell you, okay, so here's maybe four or five things you can play around with measuring. It would just like organize your data for you and start. So I, like we've been on this path for a while, but I think like it's the it's the ability to interact in a way where you can give directions, right? That's yeah. that's the really I think that's going to be the super powerful part of this for especially for the small and medium sized businesses, right? Where they don't have the tech background, they can essentially just ask the technology to do the thing that they want to do. You know, all those things that they used to tell say to an IT department, well what well surely it can just do this and <laughs> the IT department would be like, No, it can't do that. Um <laughs> you know, they'll be able to give those those commands. Like that is essentially the AI that HubSpot's adding, for example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You'll be able to you'll be able to add you'll be able to just essentially give give HubSpot a command and say, um, you know, if I'm a salesperson, I've just spoken to somebody. Hey, uh, find uh, find Jim's contact. Create a deal under this pipeline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For this amount, close date this date. And yeah. rather than having to go in and do all of the clicks and move around and make things happen, it just you just give it the command and away it goes. And I think that um, some of that, even that front end work, I think is going to simplify a lot of work, not just the analysis work but being able to give a command and say um how has our uh show me a graph show me a report of how our revenue has fluctuated in comparison to our spend in facebook for example is going to be really interesting the reporting the the data it'll be able to push out the dashboards you'll be able to build just from a command is going to be amazing i I mean we're we're literally weeks away from that like that's that's you know, some people who already have access to this, like that's already there, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. That's it's crazy, you know, how fast this has gone. Um, it's funny. I remember, uh, it, oh gosh, this was like back in 2013 or 14, maybe. Uh, we didn't. We used to do a lot of April Fool's Day blog posts <laughs> back in the day. Um, nice. And one we did, uh, we went all out. We did video, and the whole idea was because um, this was like maybe right when Siri had come out, or maybe like Amazon Echoes had come out. And everyone was like talking to devices. And so we like made a, this April Fool's Day joke that Google Analytics um, built in um, voice capabilities. And so we'd be like, now you can you can check your Google Analytics, but just by using your voice. And okay, Google Analytics, tell me what my revenue is. And like we kind of faked the whole screen of it and the, the audio voice and that, you know, we kind of faked that for the video. But like that's here, like that's that April Fool's post has basically come true. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, the voice control stuff I think is super interesting too. Like this text-based input is super helpful, but the the people that, like this is certainly a tangent, but the people that I've found uh, voice commands the most helpful for are people that are less tech-savvy. Like um, uh, apologies in advance to my dad, but my dad's <laughs> not the greatest with tech, but he uses voice commands all the time because it's easy. He just asks Siri to do a thing that he wants to do that he wouldn't have been able to figure out how to do for himself, <laughs> you yeah. know? A thing that used to take him take him a while, and my, my dad's got uh, bad eyesight, and so, you know, those voice commands make a big difference. What is my dad going to be able to do in a year's time in, in, you know, marketing analytics just by asking a system to do it for him? Like, that's going to be super interesting. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I mean, and the the pace of change is so quick here. It's just exciting to see, you know, what's going to be next and and how it's going to unfold. So. And how we will control it, or, or <laughs> it will control us, right? That's the big question. Yes, that's, that's why I always end my prompts for ChatGPT with "thank you" and "please," and you know, hopefully, it'll look kindly on Good. me when it overtakes the human race. <laughs> uh, awesome. I've got. Um, I've got a couple of questions I I would like to wrap up on. Um, I always ask everybody that comes on this show, uh, particularly about learning, because I think that, you know, this is a platform for teaching people how to do um, revenue growth. Obviously, marketing attribution and measurement is a big part of a modern revenue growth engine. Um, But the people that we get on here, obviously, 
know what they're talking about and they got that information from a bunch of places, some of it from trial and error, some of it from their own learning. Is there a, um, uh, a book, a podcast, uh, a Slack channel? Like what's your... What's been the the biggest difference maker for you? What's what's one recommendation you would make in terms of um, a place people can go to learn about this sort of stuff? Oh, it's just one. I have like twelve. <laughs> you can do two or three. That's fine. John, I think yeah. John McGowan gave us about five or six, to be honest. In the yeah, end. I mean, part of what I'm going to say is maybe ones that he mentioned. So the measure Slack, uh, the measure chat yep. Slack. Uh, that is that is hands down the best resource, bar none. Like. Uh, it's it's kind of the place where everyone is and like value, like the smartest people in the room are hanging out there and the people who are like brand new to it and asking questions are there and everyone's commingling and like so you can have the new person asking a question and like the Simo Ahava or the Christocyden or the you know throw out big name here it's like responding to them and so that's just super valuable I uh, definitely recommend mm. people you know sign up for that um other than that, like I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big podcast junkie. So I have, I don't know, I'm probably close to a hundred different podcasts that I'm subscribed to. Some of them no longer published and some of them are sporadic, but you know, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. So, uh, there's uh, analytics power hour with Tim Wilson, uh, and, and, um, uh, Mo kiss and Michael, um, Helbling. Gosh, I was blanking on names. That's going to be embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> uh, standard deviation with, uh, Simo Ahava and Juliana Jackson. Um, there's of course the rev up podcast that I, uh, hey! have been listening to ever <laughs> since I uh, found, found it through the episode with John. Um, and then, you know, there's some newsletters I like to uh, subscribe to. One I'll point out that's kind of specific toward marketing measurement is um, the Marketing Measurement Roundup by Recast. Um, Recast is a uh, a tool for marketing mixed modeling. Um, some incredibly wicked smart guys over there uh, and gals uh, that are kind of putting together a great tool for marketing mixed modeling, and uh, they do a great job with newsletter every week. Nice. And uh, you also have your own podcast and newsletter how do people get access to those two things yeah yeah this is the thing that that satisfies the creative side of, of my mind for right now which is yep. uh yeah the newsletter i started about a year ago um and it's uh mmmhub.org um mmm as in marketing mix modeling um and so that's a, a weekly newsletter mostly focused on marketing mix modeling and other sort of measurement related topics um and then most recently is the the podcast called Measure Up, and I have a couple of episodes out now and a couple more uh, in the can that'll be released over the next couple of weeks. Um, and that's sort of a more general marketing measurement, so not just marketing mix modeling, but just general marketing measurement topics. Excellent. And uh, what's the best place for people to reach out to you if they want to come and have a chat about uh, maybe you helping them fix their... <laughs> fix their marketing measurement sure probably the best way would be linkedin uh so you can find me on linkedin uh jim Ginolio. it's g-i-a-n-o-g-l-i-o it's kind of a fun one to spell um but yeah you could look they'll be able to see it in the in the title in the title of the podcast <laughs> yeah just copy and paste um, i'm also on twitter so you can reach out to me there um first initial last name because i am that creative uh <laughs> And, my uh, my Twitter handle is Benjamin Shipley, so I'm equally as creative. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, those are probably the two best places. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. Lots of uh, lots of really interesting learnings. We'll have to uh, we'll have to have you back at some point. I really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, absolutely, and, and thanks for having me on. It's been an honor.